The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I am your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Senior Assistant Minister and Executive Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the Founder. Today I have a special, special guest. I always have special guests, but today I have a special, special guest. Today, my <laughs> that's double, <laughs> double, double, a double portion of the anointing, like Elisha, uh, yeah. got from Elijah. So today I have on the show Bible scholar, Bible translator, professor, metaphysician, mystic, consciousness transformation leader, and expert and trainer. Dr. Will Coleman. How are you doing, Dr. Coleman? I'm wonderful, man. Thank you for all those accolades. I, I accept all of that. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful, it's beautiful, good to be beautiful. here, for yes, sure. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So before we start, for those who might be hearing you for the first time, can you give people a little bit about your background, who you are, and and you know, and what you do? Yeah, so you said part of it. I, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. I did my um, bachelor's degree in religion at Rhodes College there. Then I came to Atlanta, Georgia, Decatur area specifically, where I did my Master of Divinity degree, focusing in theology and history of Christian thought at Columbia Theological Seminary, a Presbyterian-affiliated seminary. From there, I went on to the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California, where I did my Ph.D. in theology, um, philosophy, and uh, area hermeneutics, specializing also specifically in African or traditional African spirituality and black theology. I have taught theology since uh, 1993 at Columbia Seminary, then theologian resident at First African Church in Lithonia, Georgia, and also since 2002 at the uh, Interdenominational Theological Center in those same areas, theology, philosophy, hermeneutics, um, traditional African spirituality, and just recently I began teaching with the Johnny Coleman Theological Seminary. So that's the, my background in terms of things that I work with. As you've already indicated, I have done a lot of work, research, meditation in areas of Kabbalah, um, Rosicrucianism, mystical masonry, theosophy, etc., Beautiful, beautiful. So I know when I reached out to you to, uh, about being a guest today, um, one of the things you wanted to emphasize was a conversation around studying the Bible in particular and and using the resources to understand the Bible in their original languages. Yeah. Could you speak more on, on that subject? Yeah, so let me say something first about what I do in all of my classes. One of my major theses that has developed in the past several years is that the Bible itself is an African book. And that this can be demonstrated in terms of the landmass that is referred to in the text itself, uh, being Afro-Asiatic, Afro-European, Old Testament, New Testament, as we said in Christian terms, uh, 
in terms of the people in that area, the migratory people who are called the Hebrews and later Judeans, uh, and their connections with the Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and Romans. And also now, then more specifically, in terms of the languages in which the, la the text has been written and translated, um, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and Latin. So that's the backdrop for nearly all of the courses I teach, particularly in the areas of biblical studies and theology. Um, I also have been very interested in myself and sharing my students the power and advantage of looking at the biblical text and it's, uh, again, original Hebrew or Greek, then Latin translations, and not relying primarily on English translations, which come much, 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 much later in the transmission of the text. Because in the original uh, text, there is so much more richness that can be gained. And we're very fortunate in this day and time to have the type of technology that makes it possible for anyone really to begin studying the Bible in its original text by uh, virtue of interlinear Hebrew, Greek, uh, uh, Hebrew, I'm sorry, Hebrew, English, Greek, English, Latin, English text, where they can do comparisons, begin to learn um, the rhythm of the languages, etc. And uh, that's online, as well as apps that can be downloaded. I have a number of them downloaded onto my phone. So I teach my students how to make use of these resources so they can make comparisons and in their own right begin to translate the text for themselves and see the richness of it in its more original uh, inscriptions. Beautiful, beautiful. So can you give us maybe a short example of the benefit yes. of studying something in the original languages? Yeah. Let's take, for example, the opening words to the biblical text in Genesis um, we typically translate it in the English as in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the Hebrew it reads as follows, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'etaaretz. And that's a different sound. It has different connotation. It can be interpreted as in beginning, but also in consciousness. The strong ones, plural, the strong ones shaped or formed the heavens and the earth, or metaphysically, they shaped and formed uh, energy and matter, or translucent energy and dense matter. Then, when this text is translated into the Greek, uh, several centuries later, it sounds this way. In arche epoesin hatheas ton uranon kai tain gain. Again, in the first order or rank of things, theos, the translation from Elohim, which means the strong ones in the Hebrew, now into the Greek language becomes theos, from which we get the word theology. So in the beginning, theos, again, shaped or formed or made the heaven and the earth. And then centuries later, the same verse is translated into Latin, into a text that becomes known as the Vulgate. It reads as follows. In principio creavit, Deus kailum eteram. In, it's like in principle, again, in the first order of things, or in the beginning, Deus, the deity created, shaped, formed, the heavens, from which we get the word kind of like ceiling, kailum, eteram, the earth. We get the word terrain from that. Now, the significance of this, brother, is that each language has a different connotation, and the English is trying to negotiate those different connotations. You can hear 
that it sounds different, it feels different in each language, the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin, and that the nuances are different, and that these changes are being made by translators of the original text based upon their current understanding of the text and the current use of their own language. Let me say one other thing, which is very important. You've heard me say this before. When the biblical text was originally written, the language that you and I are now speaking, called English, did not exist on the planet. Uh-huh. Did not exist on the planet. This also means that there's, just for example, don't mean offended about it, but there's no such word as G-O-D in the Bible. It's a German translation of that word Elohim, which then is translated into Theos, which then is translated into Deus, which then centuries later becomes G-O-T-T, the translation, and then G-O-D, God. And this is true of every word. Uh-huh. And every word has a different nuance in its translation. So when you go back to the original, you're going back to, again, Hebrew. Every word in Hebrew, every letter in Hebrew has a sound, a number, an object it refers to, as well as it spells out as a word. Those are four different layers of meanings in every alphabet of the Hebrew language. Oh, that's wonderful. That's, that's wonderful. amazing. That is wonderful. I wanted to ask you about a particular word. Some This was some years ago. I heard you talk about it. Uh, the Hebrew word for kingdom uh, is different than how we understand it. I can't remember what you said. I think the the, the word was like Malkuth or that's something it, like Malkuth. that. That's Malkuth. right, Malkuth. Yeah. But you were talking about how it had a different connotation than what we understand now. Could you explain that just to give another example? Yeah, of- Malkut has the connotation of a of a domain or realm of 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 rulership or governance, and it also is connected with in the mystical traditions of Kabbalah with earthiness and manifestation. So in Kabbalah, you have different dimensions of consciousness. And so Malkut is the dimension in which you and I, quote unquote, live our daily activities. And from there, in consciousness and meditation, et cetera, you ascend into the higher realms of consciousness, a higher vibratory frequencies. Um, so I'll, I'll get, let's go back to the first passage I read in the beginning, or better sheet, bara elohim, eight hashemaim, but eight ha'aris. Well, hashemaim would be those realms of heavens, dimensions. Okay. And then Ha'aretz, Earth, would be analogous to the here and now, the Malkut. Okay. That's... But again, you can, uh, it, even that word, you could take every alphabet in Malkut or every word in, Bres- in a better sheet and analyze each of those alphabets, every letter, and get a different meaning. So wow. let me just do that real quickly for you. So this word Bereshit, Buh. Bereshit, in consciousness. Reshit, in the head. Aleph, there's a, 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 a beginning motion. Sheen, there's a process of assimilation and digestion. Yod, there's a power of generativity. Tav, that's the last one, there's a point of determination. That's just the first word in Genesis 1. From that first word in Genesis 1, you have a summation of the entire book. And the entire processes of creation. You can't do that with English. 
Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. To say the least, that that is absolutely amazing. I think we might have a caller on sure. the line. Let me first of all give the number out for those who want to call in. And uh, I know my buddy Donald is listening. He has yeah. questions. Let's uh, get him in. Eight one six two five one three five five five. Eight one six two five one three five five five. I think we have a caller on. Um, if we do, please uh, put them in if, if they're ready. Uh, are we ready for a caller? I'm not sure how that process is working. All right. So anyway, we're going to move on until mm-hmm. I know that's ready. I'm seeing somebody, but I don't know if it's been screened yet. So again, if you want to call in and ask a question, 816-251-3555. So uh, so as you are teaching people, and we're waiting on to find out what's going on with this, mm-hmm. uh, while you're teaching people how to work with uh, original languages and open up a whole new world, because what you just did for me with that one word was yes. open up a whole new world. How is the receptivity to people recognizing that what they're reading is giving them maybe one-tenth of what's possible? That's extraordinary. As I said uh, earlier, I first began with the thesis and uh, demonstration that what they're, what we commonly call the Bible is an African-originated text, land, people, languages. And I don't do it in a manner to try to make anyone feel the, the, that they don't have any knowledge about it, but I demonstrated by showing them images and also by what I just did, reading the text uh, to them. The other thing is that, uh, as you know, I offer a class every Monday night from uh, in, uh, Atlanta time from uh, 8.30 to 9.30. People usually log on about 8 o'clock uh, under the theme of Bible and meditation. So in that, I combine biblical interpretation with meditation techniques as well. And we will use different texts from time to time. We've been doing this since 2010. We just finished a four-year study, for example, of the almost four years of the uh, 12 Powers by Charles Fillmore, going through it almost line by line in some respects, showing correspondence between what he's teaching and uh, teachings from the biblical text in his original Hebrew and Greek, from theosophy, from uh, Rosicrucianism, from uh, metaphysical philosophy, uh, to see how this all integrates into wholeness of being, wholeness of being. That's the key is to acquire also full access, not just to our conscious mind, also to our superconscious and subconscious mind, how we take care of our bodies, how we take care of our life force, our souls, how we take care of our spirits, truly in the image of these creative powers as microcosmic representations of the macrocosm. So it's multidimensional. And that's just one example. Uh, from a okay. class that's open to anyone. So um, we have a call. And I want to come back to the class mm-hmm. momentarily, but Donald is actually called in, so uh, oh, all right. bring him in. Hi, Donald. Are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Thank you so much. First of all, uh, Dr. Will Coleman, thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to ask you a, a few questions. Yes, sir. Um, and so I'm going to give you a couple, and then I'm going to hang up and just uh, allow you, if you have the time, to try to respond. Um, okay. Okay, so my first one is I studied mainly with the King James Version of the Apostle Paul's letters. 
that are contributed mm-hmm. to them. And in that translation from the King James, from the original, uh, is there one, uh, maybe uh, a couple of things that you would bring out that was lost in that translation from some of his letters uh, that was mainly important to the um, to his letters that I'm reading from King James versus the original? Um, mm-hmm. The second question would be, who are the Gentiles in the Bible when they talk about Gentiles? Mm-hmm. And gotcha. the third one is that if you had to select one of the writings attributed to Apostle Paul, uh, what would be like the main important message you would say about his writings? Okay. You might want to okay, stay so- on, Donald, because we we got to make sure those are three questions. Okay. Make sure we cover. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay. So, first of all, every English translation is a commentary because the biblical text was not written in English. As I said earlier, that language didn't even exist. So every, every it doesn't matter in a certain extent which one you're reading in the English translation. It's more pertinent that you try to get to the original as much as possible. Having said that, uh, Paul is a fascinating person, and most Christians are Pauline Christians. Most Christians understand the Bible, understand the nature of Christianity, through the writings of Paul, because Paul was a very brilliant man. He was a Roman citizen. He was eloquent and well-versed in both um, Greek, which he wrote, and as Hebrew and probably Aramaic, as kinship languages. So he's a person who's very studious. Uh, he's very precise in his use of language. Uh, he never met Jesus. This is important. He never, ever met Jesus in person, as far as we know. He met him in a, quote-unquote, vision that was transformative for him. And then he proceeded to craft his understanding of the implications of that meeting into what really became the foundation for Christian theology and liturgy. Um, So if you want to know what's lost, in a sense, everything is lost because the English translation does not of itself convey the power and eloquence of the original writings of that man, not to mention the other writers of what we now know as the New Testament or the Bible. Gentiles. In the uh, Hebrew, the word is goyim. In the Greek, is ethne, ethne, ethne. And then in Latin, we get the word, it is Gentile, from which we get the word Gentile is from the Latin. So through the translations, it's different. Uh, basically, it refers to, from the point of view of the writers of the biblical text, it refers to people who are, quote-unquote, either not Hebrews and or non-Jewish. So it's all the nations outside of at the particular time of the writing of the text who are not themselves Hebrews and or Jewish uh, persons. Then um, the most significant text that Paul wrote is the one that is called the Epistle to the Romans. And it is one of the first uh, texts written. Let me add this too. The way in which our New Testament is arranged with the Gospels and then the writings of Paul, quote-unquote, and then other epistles is not the way they were written. Paul actually wrote the first writings that became a part of the New Testament. Then uh, the Gospels, as we now see them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and other uh, epistles were written afterwards. So he actually, actually, as I've said before, set the tempo and the template for uh, what becomes the New Testament in terms of his influence. Uh, if you look at the gospel of, uh, the epistle rather, of Romans, that's where he really sets forth his major teachings about, from his point of view, 
the importance and significance of the gospel for, again, non-Hebrews, non-Jews, i.e. Gentile people, and sees himself as an apostle, i.e. messenger slash ambassador to the Gentiles, who did not have any insight into the long history of Hebrew Judaism and immediate significance of the Christos, the Mashiach, the Christ. All right, so there you have it. And my um, responses to those three questions. Anything else? No, that was excellent. I appreciate you so much, and thank you again. Thank you. Be, Be well. well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Donald. Take care. So um, I do have a question then yeah. when it comes to um, the actual Greek. This wouldn't be a Hebrew question, but more right. of a Greek question. And and some biblical scholars or many of your contemporaries would say that Jesus taught the kingdom of God and Paul taught the cross. When you study from the original languages, what insight would that give you? So it's not just the languages. It is languages in part, but it's also cultural context. It just so happens that I'm uh, at the current time uh, doing some study of the what's called the New Testament with a group of uh, Jewish uh, scholars and parishioners. And we're using a text entitled um, the Jewish Annotated New Testament. It's a translation in English. But it has a, 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 a large selection of articles written from a Jewish point of view. And it becomes clear in a certain respect that what we again call New Testament is midrash, or can be interpreted as midrash. In other words, an extended commentary and revision and reform on a, a Jewish understanding of the law, i.e. the Torah, or the writing of the prophets, the uh, Nevi'in, and the writing of the Psalms, Proverbs, etc., the Ketuvim. From that point of view, then, Yeshua is a person who is a reformer. He is a a person within the quote-unquote Jewish-Hebrew tradition, and he is one who believes and is seeking to demonstrate that the kingdom of, quote-unquote, the living one is at hand, and the work that he does in terms of healings, miracles, parables, etc., are, are signs and indications of what that kingdom of righteousness uh, should be like, what it, what it should embody, what it should represent in contrast to the kingdom of Rome. Most people miss this point. But the backdrop to all of Yeshua's teachings and works is in contradistinction from the oppression of the Roman Empire in that part of the world at that time where people are expecting deliverance. As I said earlier, with Paul, there's a shift because, one, Paul never met Yeshua, as far as we know. Uh, Paul has been trained in the tradition of the Pharisees, so he's very familiar with the law. But Paul is also more of a Hellenistic Jewish person himself and is therefore also trying to make an appeal to uh, Greek and Roman people who are thinking in Greek and Roman terms, and he uses a different language to talk about that. And Paul is more interested in the implications, not Jesus' life per se, he never talks about that, but the implications of Jesus as the Messiah and as, quote-unquote, Savior for all of the world, not only 
Jewish, but also Gentiles. Does that reduce to teachers by kingdom and cross? Maybe it does, but it more pointedly, there's a different focus okay. and a different interpretation of the implications of what the kingdom means and who the king is. So Paul is saying the king, quote-unquote, is God, using the, that English word, and the vice regent of the king is the Christos. That's his interpretation of, of Yeshua. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. We have about two minutes before we go to the break, and I want to make sure that people uh, know how to get to your website if uh, to get your take your class or to contact you. Okay, so the easiest way to reach out to me if you want interested in, in this Monday night class is simply Will Coleman PhD at gmail dot com. Will Coleman W I L L C O L E M A N Paul Harry David PhD at gmail dot com. Send me an email there, and I'll add you to the class. And we meet every Monday night. It's ongoing. You can drop in at any time. We're right now working on the series on Chapter 1 of Genesis. We've just completed that in-depth, in-depth study and meditation. I'll be glad to add you to the class. That's every Monday night, 8, anytime after 8 o'clock Eastern time. You can log on. We begin formally at 8.30 to 9.30 p.m. sharp. Okay, so just email you and your Add them to the class. And add them to the class. It's just that simple, you all. That's it. So, you know, if you want to get the benefit of of this knowledge that's available to the world, but I can tell you, and I've been around New Thought Circles and around uh, high-level theologians for years, um, you know, Will Coleman's like Haley's Comet. The type of people don't come around often. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I take that too. <laughs> my mission is that we all, I think I said this on my Facebook page, the capacity now to get into the study of core source materials available to us in a way that it never was before. In the past, it has been the privy of the elite, elite class and elite scholars. But in this day and time, if you got a phone, if you have a tablet, if you have a computer, you can get down to it. Everything I'm demonstrating is based on or my own research utilizing these resources. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So, yeah, we're about to take our first break. Um, so, you know, make sure if you want to call in, you can call in at 816 251 3555-816-251-3555. For those who are listening to this show, later on when they post this on, on the website, unityonlineradio.org, or you listen to it in your iTunes podcast, whatever, make sure you share it. This information needs to get out. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation. Or sign up for monthly contributions. 
Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Reverend Ogan Holder speaking at Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts on living an abundant life. Examine your life, whatever you may think is missing or lacking or you wish you had. Realize that you are bearing false witness against your true self and speak words of abundance to it. Speak words of truth to it and to yourself and repeat them over and over again until you have brainwashed yourself into believing that you are divine. The moment you begin to think and speak as if truly you are the embodiment of all that is. This is the only thing we got to get in through our thick skulls. Living the abundant life is not about what we have. Living the abundant life is realizing that we have it all. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Indian saint and mystic Kabir is quoted as saying, One drop of divine love can turn you to gold. Immerse yourself in the work of Kabir with acclaimed poet, author, and spiritual teacher Andrew Harvey in his book, Turn Me to Gold, 108 Poems of Kabir. Andrew shares the powerful and timeless words of Kabir in a way that is accessible to all with beautiful photography by Brett Hurd. This is a book you will turn to again and again. Available now at Amazon.com or Unity.org shop. Would you like to show your support for Unity Online Radio? You can donate easily on your phone by texting the word VOICE to 50555 and donate $10 to support Unity Online Radio. It's easy to do, and your offering will help us keep inspirational and positive programming on the air. Remember, just text the word VOICE to 50555 and support your favorite shows on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. More and more people are interested in a vegan lifestyle, and the numbers continue to grow. Join Victoria Moran every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central for Main Street Vegan and learn how to make the shift to help animals and the planet. Each week, Victoria shares recipes, health tips, and interviews with celebrity vegans, experts, and activists. Learn how to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Right here on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm on today with my special, special guest, Dr. Will Coleman. And we have a, a caller call in. Could you please allow them to come in? I think Donald called back. Donald, Donald, are you there? Yes, sir. Thank you for allowing me one more question. All um, right. Okay. Uh, Dr. Back. Coleman, thank you so much. Right before the break, Dr. Coleman, you were uh, elaborating on Paul, Apostle Paul, and the message as Messiah, Savior. And Messiah, I want to know, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if you can expound on why the, the, uh, the term Savior and what that may mean. Oh, that's uh, a wonderful question. So, thank you. at the time that uh, Paul and others are writing what we now know as the New Testament, there was great expectancy in the air in the general culture, especially, in the, again, in the Jewish culture, for someone who would come and relieve them of, of the social, political, economic, and spiritual oppressions that they were experiencing. 
What what do I mean by that? Bear in mind that they had experienced um, enslavement under the Egyptians for 400 years. They had a very fragile confederation for maybe about 100, maybe 200 years. Then they were uh, invaded and deported by some of them by the Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and now Romans. So they were looking for someone that they believed someone would come to help restore their idea of the kingdom of David. And that, that person is the one that they would call the Mashiach. The Mashiach is simply the Hebrew word for anointed one. Usually a priest, a prophet, or a king is called a Mashiach. They were looking for a special Mashiach. When that word gets translated into Greek, the word is Christos. It's a title, not a surname. It's a title. So the Greek translation of that word and that idea is Christos. So by the time that persons are writing what we call the New Testament, if they know Hebrew, they're looking for a Mashiach. If they know Greek only, which many of them who are writing only know Greek um, and thinking in some ways only in Greek in terms of their writing, the word is Christos, from which we use now the word Christ. But the word is a not just a spiritual term, it's a social, political, economic designation. So Yeshua is one of the persons that many begin to believe, his followers, that he is the promised Moshiach who would, quote-unquote, save them. Now, this word save is important because we now personalize it to just a one-on-one relationship. But it's really from the Greek word, which means to heal, to restore. The Greek word is soter, which then becomes the the, uh, Latin word salvus, salvus like an ointment on a wound. So the Savior is the Mashiach because the Mashiach comes to heal the people and to restore their relationship with their supreme being as well as their relationships with each other. Now both Yeshua um, and Paul are clear about this use of this term and understanding. In our own time, because of history, we have a tendency to only think of it as referring to a personal relationship. But in their time, it really meant uh, and included all of creation, all of humanity, as well as the individual. Does that help? Yes, it's the first time I've heard it uh, that way. So and, thank this you. Is, <laughs> and this is why you got to do the word studies. I'm trying to demonstrate you okay. can't hear it if you only think in contemporary terms and if you only think of it in the English language the way it has been communicated. You follow me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I definitely appreciate you. I'm going to let others call in, but once again, right. thank you for taking my question. Thank you for questioning. You welcome. Thank you, Donald. So, so Dr. Coleman, uh, where can people get these resources that you're talking about? I know you said it was some apps and some websites. I have right now um, an Android phone. You can go to your Play Store and type in uh, Hebrew English Bible, and you'll see several will show up and choose one. Uh, Greek English Bible, choose one. Uh, Latin English Bible, choose one, and just download them onto your phone. Same thing if you have an Android, as I do, Android tablet. And then if you have your personal computer, you can do the same thing by, in this instance, if you don't want to download it, you can go to two websites that I use most often. One website for interlinear Hebrew and 
Greek, English, Bibles, as well as a range of other translations would be www. One word, interlinear Bible, one phrase, interlinearbible.org. That's the site from which I read Genesis uh, a, a while ago in both the um, Hebrew and Greek languages. Then for the Latin, you can uh, go to www.volgate.org. Volgate. Org. These are complete biblical translations with uh, just scores of English translations as well as original language interlinear. I use them a lot. Beautiful, beautiful. So uh, I, we have another co uh, caller on the line. This possibly might be another co-worker of mine. Stan, uh, Stan, are you there? Uh, yes, I'm here. Hi, Stan. How you doing there? You have a question for Dr. Coleman? Yeah, I do. Um, so just a minute ago when he was responding to the last caller, he mentioned a couple of things. One of them, he said that these words that he used, uh, that the meaning of the word, uh, one of the meaning was to heal the people. The other one was to restore relationships with the Savior and among themselves. So if the word means to heal the people or to restore relationships, um, could, could he explain like what is he, what, what is being healed? What, why do people need to be healed? If people are already whole, why do people need to be healed? Good question. So, the word, uh, as I said in, in Hebrew, is uh, Mashiach, Mashiach, or we translate it in an anglicized form as Messiah. And then the word in Greek is Christos. Now, those two words, the translations, really simply mean anointed one, anointed one. So I said, uh, typically in the biblical text, a prophet, priest, or king would be anointed to be the, the leader, uh, reconciler among uh, the people. The other word that I use is the word for, uh, for saved, which is soter. And soter is the word that means to heal, as well as um, it gets translated into Latin as salivus. Salivus means to heal. So, yes, why? Why? Because in the course of, of our life and in our actions with others, there can be things that are out of balance, things that are out of balance uh, and not our full potential within ourselves as well as in our relationships. So the idea of, of healing is not a matter of, of total, quote-unquote, deprivation, but a, a matter of, of, of reconciliation. For example, the word sin that's often used as a depravity, really in the Hebrew and Greek sense, means simply missing the mark. Missing the mark. So if you are on your way from, uh, in my case, Atlanta to um, Chicago or vice versa, and in your route, you get off course from your destination, then you have missed the mark. What do you need to do? That's a, that's, that's, that's a formal, quote, unquote, brokenness. You need to correct your path of destination. That's being healed. So that you get to that destination that you intend to uh, arrive to in a whole 
way. I, as I say to my students from time to time, when we use our GPS systems and we go to a destination or we want our way to a destination, then even if the GPS system gives you a, a particular route or turn that you happen to know a better way to get to it, you don't say it has sand. You say, well, I know a better way. And so I correct the the destination, then it can reroute and get you to a destination that you also have made a correction to. So the word healing in that respect means simply correcting or adjusting. Okay. Well, thank you for your um, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Stan. You know, uh, Doctor Coleman, your answer reminded me of uh, some a book I read years ago by James Dillett Freeman. It's out of print now. It's been out of print for years. And he he was a, a large proponent of teaching reincarnation. He's mm-hmm. a unity minister. Mm-hmm. And in the last chapter, he – and I'm not saying what people should or shouldn't believe. That's your belief. But uh, one of the things he said, the last, the name of the last chapter was perfect but not perfected. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you were explaining. Like, okay, as a, there's a spiritual aspect of you that's perfect, whole, and complete. But there's an aspect of you in the in the human personality and the human consciousness and the human awareness that's still seeking to manifest or express the inner wholeness. And sometimes we get off track. So let's take that again. And in, in this case, let's borrow from uh, one of the epistles of Paul, First um, Corinthians, where he talks in chapter 13 about love or uh, agape, what that uh, what that entails. And at one point he says, now we see in part, but then we'll see face to face. Now we are like, quote unquote, children, but then we'd be like full adults. This is uh, suggesting that the process of healing, the process of salvation, the process of maturity is just that. It's a process. So, yes, you can be, we are complete with all of the package, all of the ingredients we need to be full, vibrant human beings in the image of the creative powers. At the same time, we are on a learning curve individually and collectively towards a goal of, quote-unquote, completion. And the consciousness we bring to that is, is what amplifies our uh, approach to the destination of completion. So, yes, you, you're perfect. You're complete. You have everything that you need. At the same time, you are living through a process of individual and collective completion. In, in, in Hebrew Kabbalah, it's called tekun olam. It's the restoration of the worlds, of the many dimensions of reality, of our many different relationships the, within ourselves and with others. Beautiful, beautiful. Again, I want to make sure people can call in if you want to. 816-251-3555. 816-251-3555. So, uh, Dr. Coleman, in speaking about the, going back to these original languages and the resources, uh, as people are working with the material that allows them to do better translations with the Bible, um, um, how do you think that this would, will show up in the everyday yeah, good church question. in the pew at the, you know the preacher to the pew? Or well, the person. It means yeah. that it means well, for, first of all, it means that preachers. And I say this to my seminary students. Uh, because we have such uh, wonderful resources now, uh, there's no excuse for being lazy. And there's no excuse for not working with the original languages. There's none at all. Put that aside. Number two, our people deserve better. I say this to my semi- all my semester, our people deserve better than 
uh, what could be uh, mediocre preaching and teaching about the text. Our people deserve to know how the text has been written, how it has been crafted, how it has been taught, how it has been misconstrued, and how it can be corrected, and uh, have the power also to make decisions for themselves about their interpretation of the text. There's no one authoritative, uh, authoritative interpretation of it. It's a wonderful, powerful book. It's like an anthology. It is a, a, a tremendous example of divine and human consciousness and action. It can be a roadmap of sorts. But we must uh, go deeply into our reading and understanding and appropriation of it. How does it apply to everyday life? When you can ask very serious, poignant questions about the text, as I teach my students, I teach them to ask dangerous questions. Who, what, when, where, why, how, etc. That type of analysis around the text also translates into how you engage with your everyday reality. Beautiful, beautiful. I have two more really pertinent questions. Yes. The first one is... Um, this is a new thought metaphysical Christianity question. Then I want to go back to a question about Midrash. Yes. The Midrashic interpretation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the new thought, I, I'm known in my circles as a guy who focuses on hardcore metaphysics because yes. I feel as though that the the essence of the hardcore metaphysics community, science of mind, you know, divine science, you know, the old school new thought. Mm-hmm. It's being watered down, uh, and I and I think our people deserve better who listen to yes. it. I yes. wanted to get your thoughts on on people feeling as though that you can't give people the real. Man, you opened something up right there. <laughs> <laughs> we got another hour about that. This is another conversation I had with my seminary students. Stop telling that story. Stop saying that people are not ready. They are ready. If you will present what you have learned and what you've come to understand with integrity, they'll get it and they'll walk with you. But if you insist upon half-baked ideas, they'll fight you. Uh, I was, again, with the Jewish group on yesterday. I preach, I teach, I talk the same way that I am on this conversation right now. I don't have fights with people because I'm not trying to convert, number one. And number two, I'm sharing what I've come to know. But I do not want you to believe what I know. I want you to discover for yourself. And if you present in a manner that has integrity with who you are and what you've come to be, people can hear that. They may not agree initially, but and then you also show them how they can do the same research and come to their own conclusions, they'll respect it. So there's no such thing that people aren't ready. You're not ready. And I tell my students, if people perceive that you're not ready, i.e., you're not sure about your your journey, they have a right to resist. You haven't convinced yourself that this is what you've come to. But if you convince yourself and present it with integrity, they'll get it. You know, uh, Johnny Coleman, the founder of Christ Universal Temple and the Universal Foundation for Better Living, was known for teaching things that people didn't want her to teach. She was the first unity minister, or at least she said she was, that publicly taught 12 powers from from the pulpit. Uh, and she got flack for it. And she would her, but her argument, and I heard her say this out of her own mouth, so I'm not speculating. Uh, you know, because 
you know, I had the benefit, the great benefit of being mentored by her, trained and ordained. She said, I put it on the plate. Take off what you can take use and leave on the plate what you can't use yet. Let me and let me give you another example from my own experience. And this is important for those of us who are a bit older and have children and grandchildren. You can't fool them. I on one occasion, one Monday night, about ten years ago, uh, had a hybrid class with persons in the um, uh, in the church as well as online. And I was doing a study on the Book of Revelation. At the end of that study. My then 17-year-old granddaughter came up to me and she said, Granddaddy, you all right? I said, baby, why is that? She said, because while you were talking, I was checking you out on the Internet and verifying what you were saying. (laughs) So you cannot come to young people now with foolishness because they can check you out immediately and do the same thing that that I'm suggesting. They are doing their homework. And they may like you because you're the granddad, preacher, et cetera, but that don't mean they're going to respect what you're saying if what you're saying is half-baked because they can do the research right there at that very moment that you're speaking. They they raise the bar. And so if we're wondering why many of them don't show up to some of our gatherings, it might be because they're studying something else. Yes, yes. So my question is about Midrash. Um, Years ago, I read this uh, book by um, a John Shelby, Bishop John Shelby Spong, uh, called Liberating the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And his argument, much like what you just said, was the, the Gospels are just Midrashic interpretations of the Hebrew Bible or what we would call the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And But he also said that the Gospels were liturgical books mm-hmm. that would be studied alongside the Hebrew Bible. Has any of your research kind of connected those two together? Yeah, I agree with I do agree with that. Again, in, in studying with uh, this Torah group on Tuesdays, it is extraordinarily clear that they bring, uh, they are bringing insights to me about the continuity between the Tanakh, that is, the Torah, the first five books, the um, Nevi'im, the prophetic historical writings, and the Ketuvim, and the words and teachings and works of Yeshua, as well as of Paul, in a moving uh, in a bit more different direction. So you can you can see that the what we now have as the New Testament narrative is a is more con- congruent and continuous and a different interpretation of the the Hebrew text. And on that point about liturgy, yes, there's no doubt about it. I was going to say this earlier. When you read Paul's work, especially in the Greek, you can and the eloquence of it, you can see how it becomes uh, formulas for hymns, formulas for liturgy, and even formulas for nascent theological reflection. There's no doubt about it, and that's why it's so compelling. Beautiful, beautiful. We have another caller, uh, yes. Dr. Coleman. Another contemporary of mine, Reverend Alberta Ware. Yes. Uh, Reverend Alberta, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, do you have a question for Dr. Coleman? I do have a question for Dr. Coleman. I wanted to know if his uh, weekly sessions are archived. Since I teach on that same night, I don't get home in time enough to to join the session. They are, and I I, I don't always promote them. Uh, I, I try to do everything that live, but if you... 
Well, if you can join and or will send me an email, we can talk about that, okay? That's will uh, willcolemanphd. I'm sorry, willcolemanphd at gmail.com. Will I'll make sure you I'll make sure you have the email address, but you can give it again. Just make sure. Yeah, that's Will Coleman, W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E-M-A-N-P-H-D at gmail.com. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a blessed day. You too. So, yeah, you know, so we only have about four minutes left. Oh, so. no. It's all over now? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let me just say this. You have a standing invitation to come on this show. Okay. Just let me know and we can talk because I, I feel as though that what you have to offer is a game changer in the world of religion and spirituality. Um, and it's important that people hear it and people find out because the thing about it is you're opening up a new world to people and that world, you know, shows the unity of everything, you yeah. know, when you start studying, you know, the Bible and it's different nuances when it comes to the original languages and the understandings of it, you get to see that it's talking about consciousness and yes. consciousness transformation, yes, right. et cetera, et cetera. So I, I believe that that definitely works. I do want to add, add yes. one other thing because I do have some listeners uh, who are in the continent of Africa. And mm-hmm. I do, if you could give maybe a, a two-minute quick summary on some of the work you're doing with African spirituality. So, thank you for that. So, in addition to the courses I teach in uh, theology and uh, hermeneutics, interpretation theory, etc., I also teach courses at the ITC in uh, what could be termed as traditional African spirituality. So, I uh, teach classes that focus and incorporate uh, insights from West African tradition of Ifa, West African tradition of of uh, Bodum of Nkisi from the Congo region. I also uh, demonstrate and show how these spiritualities uh, migrated into the Americas when our ancestors were enslaved in various traditions in uh, Brazil, in Cuba, in Puerto Rico, in Haiti, and in the southern United States. And I also help my students to understand that while we certainly have been, quote-unquote, converted to a certain form of Christianity, our ancestral spiritualities are also with us, our style of preaching, uh, some of the ways that we uh, do our liturgy, uh, in many respects, are much more African than they are Eurocentric. And I I want students to to see and experience that uh, and be able to incorporate that consciously the treasures of that consciously, along with this uh, primary source understanding of the biblical text, which I repeat is an African-originated text from Northeast Africa, just as our um, indigenous spirituality is from West Africa. Beautiful, beautiful. So, mm-hmm. again, you know, about a, we have about a minute and a half, so I just want to thank you again for coming thank on you. again. You have a standing invitation. Anytime I have an open slot, just call me. If you want to talk about something, I'm open to doing it because, you know, I know we're in different states and whatever, but, you know, I feel as though that, you know. You know this technology, this technology yeah, makes it I, possible for us to be right it, in the same room. Right, it's, right. It's one word, and that is this. What I want the takeaway to be is don't take my word 
or anyone else's on the surface, but check it out for yourself. Check it. You deserve better. Check it out for yourself. And we have the resources now, again, as they never have been before, to do this type of work. Beautiful, Individually beautiful. and collectively. Yes, yes. So, you know, so again, you know, thank you again, listeners and callers who called in. Thank you for calling in, allowing this show to, to come alive in new ways because you brought your consciousness to the conversation. And just know that, again, we're going to continue to have this conversation. For those who listen to this show, my request is that you share it on your social media or email it to people. They're going to download the show probably tonight or tomorrow on the website. They're going to have it on iTunes podcast. They're going to have it on Stitcher, the uh, app for Android devices. Share this with people. This knowledge has to get out to the world. It's not about me. It's not about Dr. Coleman. Mm -hmm. It's about people being empowered with information so they can make choices. God bless you. Mm-hmm. I'll be with you next week. Thank you again, Dr. Coleman. Thank you. I'll be with you all, all next week with Truth Transforms. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.